verse 3. Five oh five. I would highly recommend each person look up He Touched Me, this one by the Gaither Vocal Band. They they do a great job. Ethan and I scream this one in the car as we're going along. Alright. Not that I'm gonna scream right now.
I guess when you give the preacher the pulpit early, you want out early, right? <laughs> I understand. I've been there. <laughs> been there and done that. All right, well, pray the Lord will do it then. Old preacher I used to know said he wanted to be under the spout where the glory came out. Well, I hope you had a good day. I ate lunch today, and I'm still eating. That was some of the most powerful meatloaf, I think, that I've ever encountered. <laughs> it happens occasionally, believe me. But uh, now I'm looking back, and you can't live in the past, but I wished I'd have never touched it. I'll tell you that right now. <clears throat> Maybe it'll quit after a while. If not... I've got a uh, one of those Prilosec pills for tomorrow morning. I'll go ahead and take it early, I guess. <laughs> but it is good to see you. Thank you all for coming out. You're just like Baptist everywhere, uh, except 500 people in here and everybody's spread out. <laughs> You'll never catch the COVID off one another, I'll tell you that. I was preaching in a place one time, and I don't know what kind of trouble they'd had, but it was... Uh, I mean, a gigantic church, and there was probably, they might have been 35 or 40 people in there, but I'll tell you what, 35 and 40 people in the right room can look huge, uh, but 35 or 40 people in a place that's going to sit a thousand or two, isn't, you know, and they had this platform built up, it must have been 20 feet tall, I felt like the Pope, and uh, it was just, uh, it was disconcerting, I'll put it that way too preach it really affected me and uh, after that the preacher said uh, you have any suggestions I said if it was me I'd go out here about 30 feet and I'd build a wall across there and I'd let this down about 15 feet and start over <laughs> so you can see everybody well folks if you would take your Bible and turn to the gospel of John the 18th chapter when uh, brother Wells asked me to come I had been studying this passage of Scripture, and uh, I couldn't get it off my mind, so I'm going to give you what I've got tonight. <laughs> and, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think that's God's will, and, and we'll pray that it is. It's His Word, and the Old Testament prophet said that it would not return void. So that's, that's the promise I'll claim as we get started tonight. John chapter 18, verse 33 through verse 38. says, Then Pilate entered into, ju into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I in, unto the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. 
Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said, saith unto him, What is truth? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful portion of your inspired word. God, I thank you for the opportunity now to be able to again proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. I pray, Lord, I'll say only that which is necessary that you'd have me say. And I pray, Father, you'll give me strength, and I pray for the inward power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that he may minister to every heart tonight. And when we leave this place tonight, may we leave here rejoicing, saying it's good we met together in the house of the Lord. We give you praise for all things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, this is uh, at the trial of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's been brought to Pilate. And I'd like to share just the kind of the context of this by turning back to Luke chapter 23. I want you to see what the subject is here. And in Luke 23, in the first two verses, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. This is how he came to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the King. So we know right off at the beginning that this is a false accusation. If you remember the story of Peter um, asking him about do we pay tribute to Caesar or not? And here was Jesus' answer, if you remember. He said, I want you to go down to the lake and I want you to throw a hook out there. And there's a fish going to catch that. And you pull that fish out of there and you open his mouth and there's a coin in there. Take that and, and take care of my taxes and your taxes. And render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. But they brought him with this false accusation that he was perverting the nation, that he was a rabble rouser, that he was an insurrectionist and he was all of these things and he was trying to destroy uh, the government of Rome and their hold over the Jews. So Jesus answers that back in John chapter 18, verse 34. Art thou the king of the Jews, he said. Uh, what a wonderful question it certainly was. And verse 30, uh, 34, Jesus answered, Sayest thou this thing of thyself or did others tell it thee of me? So he says, in effect, you don't have any reason to even uh, ask me that question. So other people have told you this. And that's usually the way it works when you have a false trial or false accusations, is other people always have to tell a story, and they're going to tell it to suit their self. That's why you get lawyers. That's why they fight it out for you, and hopefully you get a good one and get a smart one. <laughs> but uh, verse 35, Pilate, and he's... Uh, Pilate's a politician. You don't know much about politicians, but uh, he's a politician straight up and down, and he's, he's going to try to play both sides. And uh, he, says, uh, he says in verse 35, Am I a Jew? He, he goes on to say, It's your own people that have brought you here. He says, Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Now, Jesus says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. So what he's saying here, in effect, is 
I have a kingdom. He, he, he asked him, was he the king of the Jews? That's what started this, this whole discourse here. Are you, are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Because Pilate knows that if he's a king, then Rome is in trouble. Because you have a king against an emperor. And there's going to be some trouble. And Pilate didn't want any trouble. He didn't want any trouble from his bosses, and he didn't want any trouble from, from the Jews. And so Jesus says, I have a kingdom. I'm a king. And I have a kingdom, but he's saying here that my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence. So his kingdom did not rise up out of this world. Remember at his birth, the wise men came seeking the king of the Jews. Where is he that's not going to be king? They said, where is he that's born king? He was already a king when he was born. And now he's a pilot says, are you a king? He says, I am. I am a king. But my kingdom is different than your kingdom is. So, it didn't come up out of the world, and the nature of his kingdom is not worldly. There's nothing in it about the world. It's a, his kingdom is a kingdom within men. You, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, are a participant already in the kingdom of God because it's within us. When, when the Holy Spirit of God comes in, you are part of the kingdom of God. You, you couldn't escape it if you wanted to, and who in the world would want to? The weapons of his kingdom are not worldly. You don't see believers out here with machine guns and, and uh, uniforms on and, and trying to start trouble with people. So it's, it's not worldly, it's, it's spiritual. The design of his kingdom is not worldly. The subjects of his kingdom are, though in this world, are not of this world. And you, you would be included in that if you, if you know Christ. And, and then the proof of that is in what he said, when he said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Then verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, art, art thou a king then? Now he's going to get to the bottom of it. And Jesus answered, Art thou king then? And Jesus says, It is as you say, I am a king. He said, Thou sayest that I am a king, then to this end was I born. So he, he says, Yes, yes, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. To be the king. He's already king, but he's going to be the king of this kingdom, this kingdom of God. That is within men. Art thou a king? And it's, uh, of course, not in the sense that Pilate meant. And that's what he's trying to get him to see. I have a kingdom, but it's not a worldly kingdom. We don't have thrones here. We don't have crowns here. The only crown that Jesus had was the one they put on him at the cross. Remember when he went into Jerusalem a week before he was crucified, he didn't ride a prancing stallion in there. He, he rode a lowly colt of an ass. And uh, so everything that he did was to exemplify that although he's a king, although he's a creator of this world, he voluntarily chose to come down and be born of the virgin 
and to set up his kingdom among, among men. Art thou a king? Jesus says then in verse 37, Thou sayest that I'm a king, to this cause was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. And here is that cause, I want you to see it. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Why did he come into this world to set up a kingdom? That he might bear witness of the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Remember Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, Pilate said unto him, and here's the question for us tonight, What is truth? What is truth? Well, he come to be a witness of the truth. Uh, he shows how he's king. He rules in the minds and the hearts of his people. He came to be a witness of the truth. He came to be a witness of God and a witness for God. He came to be a witness against sin. He came to reveal the truth. He came to confirm the truth. And when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then he is, a, he is that king. He is that king of the truth. And he conquers as a king by the evidence of truth. Everything the Bible says about him is truth. Every word in the word of God is truth. There's nothing in there but the truth. That's why, and I don't know how it is now, but used to if you went into court as a witness, they held a Bible out to you, you put your hand on it, held this hand up, and said that you pledged allegiance to the truth from the Word of God. And that was a, the witness against you was the truth of the Word of God. Well, the subjects, those of us who believe in Him, we bear witness of the truth with Him. All people who are in love with the truth, I'm going to emphasize truth and the importance of truth. All that are in love with the truth will hear his voice. And those who are not will not hear his voice. They, they, will, not, they will not understand what he's trying to say. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then Pilate asked that question. It's one of many questions it's asking the Bible, and I'll tell you, it is a, is a great question. And it's one that needs a great answer. The dictionary would define truth as an agreement with reality. And it is. They would also define truth as the eternal principle of right. What is truth? Now, evidently, not too many people know what truth is. Some people have no relationship at all with the truth. They're not concerned about the truth. When you begin to look at all the different belief systems there are in the world, and even the ones who say the Bible is their foundation, somebody is playing loose with the truth of the Word of God. And um, so what is the truth? I, I want to give you the definition of the Bible a definition of what truth is tonight. And I want to begin by getting you to turn over to Matthew chapter 16. 
This would be our first point if you're a note taker. And I hope you are. I encourage people to take notes. Unless you're like me and have a, a, a memory that just you can remember everything. Oh, the other day, I, I was looking for something. I checked every pocket I had. Every pocket. I said, I know I had that thing, whatever it was. I said, I know I had that. I checked every pocket, turned them inside out. I couldn't find it. I went all over the house, and I checked everything that I'd touched and everything I'd come near. Couldn't find it. You know where I found it? In my pocket. Yeah. Does it get any better? Some of y'all are older than me. Does it get any better? No. That's what I thought. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So, what is truth? Truth is the foundation of the church. Now, in verse 13, you, I know you've heard this passage preached many times if you've been saved long. Jesus asked them, and I've been to that place, Caesarea Philippi. Look, you go to Caesarea Philippi, he took these disciples four days out of everybody's way up into the wilderness there where they had this, it's kind of like a park and there's some water there and that's hard to find in that area. And it's a, it's a restful place. He took them four days journey just to ask this question. Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And the answer they gave, verse 14, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. The only problem with their answer is it's not true. That answer is not true. And he said, but whom say ye that I am? They said, other people say you're one of these people. He said, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father. He revealed it to thee. Now that's the truth. That's the truth revealed. That's the truth that the church was built upon. It's not that the church is built upon the man Peter, on this rock. Peter's a rock, but he's a stone. He's a small stone. This is a massive Rock Jesus is talking about the total foundation of the church is not so much in a, in a particular thing that he said, but it's in the truth of what he said. The church is built upon the truth. And uh, Jesus said, then I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. What truth? What truth is it built upon? It's, it's built upon the truth about Christ himself. Thou art the Christ. That's what he said. Thou art the Christ, the 
Christ means the anointed one of God, the one that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 that was going to crush the head of Satan, uh, the serpent. Here he is. And it's that truth, that anointed one of God, the Messiah that's going to come, that's the truth. He's here. And Peter said, uh, you're the Christ. And then Jesus said, my father told you that I'm the Christ. He didn't know it any more than these other men knew it. But the father revealed it to him. And that's the truth. The church is built upon the truth. Truth about who he is. Uh, he is the son of God. He is God the son. He's the incarnate one. He's the one who came down, born of a virgin. He, he, is, he is the one who came to save us from our sins. Why he came? To seek and to save that which was lost, he says. Why did he come? He came for one purpose, and that was to go to Calvary. That was to die upon the cross, to have his life blood spilt there upon the cross. He came that he might die, that you and I could live, and, and, he, and he came that he, might, that he might be buried, and he came that he might raise again from the dead. He came for all of those reasons to offer us eternal life. And that's the truth. And the church is built upon the truth. This church should be built upon the truth. Every church should be built upon the truth. And all of God's people should know the truth, should know the truth, because we're part of the kingdom of God and the king of truth. When you go back and you could just do a doctrinal study of the foundational truths of the church, they have to remain, they will remain true. It doesn't anybody can make them not true. But they always have to be held up as the truth. The virgin birth. Look, if the virgin birth is not true, you and I have not one bit of business being here tonight. We might as well go home and cross all of this out and sell it to the Mormons or do whatever you want to with it because it doesn't mean anything. If Christ was not born of a virgin, then who's our sin bearer? How did he do it? It's foundational to everything we believe. His sinless life. Look, some, some liberals, they run around telling that Jesus had girlfriends. That these prostitutes that he, that he uh, would talk to, they was actually having affairs with them. They'll tell all this stuff to make you see his humanity, but it's not true. And he was sinless. It's impossible for him to sin. And some people in their ignorance Look at that where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and think that he was tempted like we are, as sinners are. Jesus could not sin. He was tempted in his humanity. He was not tempted in sin because he has no sin nature. He is who he is, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and higher than the heavens. Cannot sin. He cannot sin. If he could sin, let's just go home and forget it. His sinless life, his vicarious death, he didn't die for himself, he died for us. He's our substitute. And, that way, and, and the way it is, he died with our sins cast upon him, the sins of the world upon him. That's the truth. His bodily resurrection, 
You have people all up and down this road in church houses probably tonight trying to tell people that his resurrection was just spiritual. His resurrection was physical. His resurrection was a bodily resurrection. That's so important to know that truth. And uh, look, uh, he said, touch me. Put your hand here in the wounds and see. Does the spirit have flesh and bones as I have? It, it was bodily. His ascension back to heaven. His offer of salvation by grace through faith. That can never be underscored. That has to stand just as it is. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. We're saved by grace through faith. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And that's all. By faith alone, in Christ alone, is the only way we'll ever be saved. His second coming, the judgment of eternal life or eternal damnation, all of these are great truths that the church is built upon. In the book of 1 Timothy, in the third chapter, it'll just reinforce what we've just what we've just said, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how, thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, God wants us to behave a certain way in church. And he goes on to say, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the church is truth, truth concerning the foundation of the church. And all of that is true. Let me show you something else, the second thing I want to mention to you, found in the book of Romans in the first chapter. So the church is, is true. In Romans um, chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and notice in verse 18, here's another familiar passage. But it talks about the truth. And it says there, and we'll read down through verse 23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice now, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because, and that's where the wrath of God is, is going to be poured out. against Those who don't believe the truth, those who don't recognize the truth. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Number two is, truth is the fear, it is the fear of the natural man. Now listen, even a good man, if we can call someone a good man, would fear absolute truth. Absolute truth. Not the way we shade truth sometimes. 
but absolute truth. Even a good man would be afraid of that. Fear of being exposed for our thoughts. See, nobody can see your thoughts, right? But God, it's open. It's open, wide open to God. And he, he knows what we're thinking. The Bible says he knows the secrets of our heart. I don't want that exposed. There's a lady in our church, and recently she started showing signs of uh, Alzheimer's. Now her mother had had Alzheimer's, and one of her siblings had had it. And it was very, the very severe kind. And is the sweetest woman you would ever want to meet. The happiest woman you would ever want to meet. I've ate many meals at their house. And I, I've never laughed as hard as when she would tell her old stories and stuff. And now they can't take her out in public. Because the language that comes out of her mouth, it's awful. A friend of mine, who was, was a preacher, went to visit his old pastor. and He was a pastor for around 60 years. And finally, his family put him in a nursing home. And he stopped at the nursing home to see him. And he said um, to the lady, uh, what room is Pastor Martin in? And she says to him, we have no pastors here. He said, now his family said he was here. And I drove all the way up here, said, now where's he at? And she said, well, you don't have any preachers here. And he, he gave him his name, his full name. And she said, well, he ain't no preacher. Said, all he does is cuss and chase these nurses up and down the hall. I want to tell you something. You don't want what's in your mind exposed. I don't. No, I don't. And I don't think anybody else does. That's a fear that even a godly person would want to stay away from. Thoughts, desires, feelings, things said, the words we say, the deeds that are done in secret. Some people just pull the shade and think, they think that's it. That nobody, can, nobody knows what's going on. But God, God looks beyond all of that. Who, who would not fear being exposed? The natural man fears the truth. The unsaved man fears the truth. And he fears being found out that he knows the truth. Verse 18, that's exactly what he's saying. For the wrath of God is revealed. Why would God bring his wrath down upon somebody unless there was a reason? It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness unrighteousness of men. He's talking about unbelievers here who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They have the truth. They know the truth. They're just not going to do anything about it. They're not going to act upon it. Well, and if that's not enough, then verse 20 says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. I'll tell you what, you wait till it gets dark tonight. You walk out and you look straight up into that sky and see what you see. Somebody made that. 
And every person upon the face of this earth that can see, can see that. That's a testimony against them. And they know, they know within their heart of hearts that somebody created that and they're responsible to whoever created this. But they're going to hold that in unrighteousness and they're not going to do anything about it. The fear of the natural man. That's why most people don't want to hear the gospel. Now go over to Walmart when you get a chance and stand there at the door with that greeter if he'll let you and say to everybody who comes in there, hey, uh, would you like to hear about the gospel? Right? How many of you figures going to let you tell them? What? They don't want to hear that. Now if you said, hey, uh, how many of you would like to have a free prize today? That's a different story. I've been in Sam's Club when that knife guy's there. I don't know if you were... Yeah. Either that or the meatball guy that's making the meatball. And <laughs> yeah, now they're going to fly. Come here, we're going to give you one. Just all you got to listen to this two or three minute speech here about it. And we'll give you a set of these knives. Well, you can't even get through. No way. But say, how about the gospel? Who'd like to hear the gospel? No. They fear the gospel. They fear the truth of the gospel. They don't want to hear the gospel. They already know that there's a creator, but they don't want to hear about the gospel. So the natural man is afraid of the truth because the truth exposes the lies. That's why the news media today, you can't get the truth out of them. No. They'll tell you a lie to cover up the truth, right? And so... It's a terrible, it's a terrible ordeal and a, and a terrible way to have to live in a free country when you can't find out the truth. Nobody wants to tell you the truth. Some preachers won't even tell you the truth. Don't rock that cradle. No, don't, don't do that. Now they got it made and they know it. I'll tell you what, this, this virus, it was right down some of them's alley. They didn't want to visit anybody anyway. They didn't want to preach anyway. They're happy to do it uh, online or in their bathrobe or whatever they do. It didn't matter to them because the truth exposes lies. The truth convicts of wrong. That's why people don't want to hear the truth because it shows them that they're wrong. Their thinking is wrong. Their, their actions are, are wrong. And so when you tell people the truth, they reject you outright because... They don't want the truth. And the truth demands action. You hear the truth, now you've got to do something, right? Yeah. Somebody comes and tells you that your darling little uh, daughter or son is doing something wrong. Now there's the truth. Now you've got to do something. You wish you could ignore it. You wish you could just forget about it. But you can't because the truth demands action. You've got to do something. So, here's why you can't get people to come to church. Because they don't want to hear the truth. They're afraid of the truth. They'll have to do something. If they hear enough truth, they've got to do something. I've watched people come to church, people that are unsaved. And if they can keep coming, if I can keep them coming for just a few services, I got them then, because they can't get away from the truth. 
Now, if they hear it one time and run and they never show up again, you can pretty much write it down. They don't want to hear the truth. To be saved, for a person to be saved and go to heaven, one of the requirements is you've got to believe the truth. Right? So you don't want to get your theology from CNN. I don't care how many Easter specials they put out. Forget that. It's not going to work. Okay, the third thing, and we're on a roll here, so we're going to get with it. Acts chapter 17, the book of Acts chapter 17. And verse 30 and 31. And it says this. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, truth is the fate of all men and women. Truth is our fate. Because that's how we're going to be judged. That's what he's saying here. We'll be judged and the, he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he ordained and has given assurance to all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. And that is our fate. What have we done with the truth. What have we done with the truth? And that's all it's going to be. When we stand before the Lord someday, it will be according to the truth. And everybody, the Bible says, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not just talking about Christian people here. He's talking about all people. Every person, saved or lost, will bow the knee before God and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the book of Romans again, in Romans chapter 14, I want you to notice a couple of verses and we'll move on. Romans 14, verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. And he's saying here, look, we don't live this life just to ourselves, where we're the only one affected. We affect everybody we come in contact with. We, we don't live unto ourselves. We don't die unto ourselves. We are, we are affecting people all the way down the line. As we're growing up, we're affecting other people. Uh, the job of teachers is a wonderful thing because it's a job that affects people. It affects what they think. It affects what they believe. And then the job of pastors and the job of church workers, is very, it's the same thing. We, and all of us, whether we serve in the church or whether we don't, doesn't make any difference. We live and we die among others. And that's the way God made us. 
He didn't make us to be some lone ranger Christian out here. A high old silver away. You know, I fix all the problems and I'm gone. I do everything right and then I'm gone. It doesn't work like that. He saved us in company with other believers. And there are many believers around this world. <laughs> Go anywhere you want to and you'll probably find a Christian. For to this end, verse 9, both Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, every one of us, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Where? For the believer at the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> we read about it. Judgment seat of Christ. Every man's work will be made manifest, it says. It's openly. Our whole Christian life will be evaluated. That's what it is. It's an evaluation. So here we are. We stand before the Lord and He reviews our Christian life. Everything before that. Every sin will not be mentioned. Every sin is gone. The Bible says it's gone whether you've committed it or whether you will commit it. It's gone. Alright? It is no more. Your sin is no more. When He forgave your sin, He forgave all of your sin, the Bible says. Now, sin won't be mentioned at the judgment seat of Christ, but your Christian life will be mentioned. What you've done for Christ will be mentioned. The opportunities that we had to serve Him will be mentioned. The opportunities to make decisions to serve Him will be mentioned. And all of that will be laid out, manifest, according to the truth. What's the truth? Nobody can deny it. Right? That's the Christian. What about the lost man? Revelation 20 talks about the lake of fire. Death and hell were delivered up to the lake of fire. And they were judged, every one, according to what was written in the books. Now look, what was written in the books? The truth. The truth. What's written in that book of life? What's written there in that, that book where they judge your works, as the unbeliever's works? The truth. It's nothing but the truth. Some people say, here's what's written, here's what's written, here's what's not written. I'll tell you what's written. The truth is written. The truth. And whatever is written for every person, it's the truth. God keeps the records. And the records have been recorded. And the records will be opened up. And the records will be published someday. And no one will walk away not knowing the truth. If it happened now, I tell you, that's an awesome thing to think about. We must believe the truth. There's no options other than the truth. John 8, verse 31 32, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. How do you know you're a disciple of the Lord? Because you continue in his word. If you don't continue in his word, you're not a disciple. Then he goes on to say, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's a misquoted verse. 
set you free. Everybody says, and the truth shall set you free. But it doesn't say the truth shall set you free. It says the truth shall make you free. Now somebody wants to split hairs, right? Strain at a net and swallow a camel, they say. That's all right. I'll take it. They say, what's the difference? Make you free, set you free. I'm going to tell you what the difference is. You ready? If you was in jail tonight, where's the jail at around here? Is it in this town? No, somewhere else. Okay, regional jail probably. So they've got you over there, got you locked up, right? And I want to get you out. Now, I'm going to come over there, and I'm pretty sneaky. I'll trick those jailers somewhere or another. I'll trick those jailers. And I'll get them out of there, and I'll, some way or another I'll make them leave the keys there. Maybe I'll fix them hot dogs and hamburgers, and they'll run out to get them. And I'll slip in and get the key. And I'll come in wherever you're in the cell. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set you free. What about that? That's good of me, isn't it? Yeah. The only problem with that is, they're going to come and get you again. And they're going to put you back in there. Because to be set free, you can be locked back up. To be made free. Now, you're in jail over there. And I realize, uh, me coming over there, and it's not a good idea for me to come over and try to get you out like that. So, I go to the governor of the state of Virginia. I don't personally know him. And what I've seen about him, I don't want to know him. <laughs> But, say I had some influence somewhere. Though. I go to the governor and I say, now that's, that's that person there, you, you need to pardon that person. Now if the governor sends an order down there and says, you let him out, guess what? He's made free. He can't be locked back up. That's, that's the difference if you continue in his word and his disciple indeed. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's quite different. You're free indeed, he said. That's different. Well, made free to enjoy the liberty that we have in Christ. And that's the truth. What, what does the truth have to do with a thing that we might say call spiritual revival. What, what does it have to do with it? Well, here's the thing. God knows all about you. And the Bible says that. It declares it. 1 John 3 and verse 20. For God knoweth all things. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. See, you don't know. You, you don't know whether I'm saved or not. God knows. Yeah, I don't know really whether you're saved or not. God knows. God knows all things. He knows what's happened. He knows what's going to happen. God knows. And that's good. I live by that. Now, many people live a lie. They live a lie. I, I've met a lot of folks like that. God knows the truth about it, right? I'm not talking about occasional arguments and things or 
You know, you get in a bad mood and you say something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a lifestyle where people develop a lifestyle of sin. But you'd never know it from the outside. You'd never know it. I had a fellow in the church one time years ago. I thought he's the greatest guy. I, you know, I just thought, man, alive, this guy's he's something else, you know. Veteran, hero of in, in World War II. I mean, he was, he, he was acclaimed, highly acclaimed. I found out later, this guy's getting drunk about every other day and beating his wife. That time he just beat her too bad and put her in the hospital. And he got caught. And you know, that was back when uh, police scanners were big. I don't know if they're still big, I have no clue. But I'd go in those people's house to visit and they'd go, you'd hear the dispatcher come on there and tell them who to go pick up, what's going on. And uh, it went out over the, the dispatch and, and most of the people in the community and the church knew. You know, they knew that guy was a part of our church. I thought, well, I'm going to have to talk to him. And I went to him. And I had to get it straightened out. He wound up leaving the church. He said he'd already confessed it to God and he wouldn't tell nobody else anything about it. And I said, well, you will if you want to stay a member of the church. Because it's, what you did, if you'd have done it privately, if it had been private, you could take care of it privately. But I'll tell you what, when it becomes public, you've got to take care of it publicly. I don't believe in this crazy stuff where people are gone from a church for a six months or a year and waltz back in, jump up in the choir and start singing like nothing happened. I don't believe that one bit. Somebody needs... Somebody needs to humble theirself before God and say, here's what I've done wrong. I've done wrong and I need God's forgiveness and I need to be restored in fellowship of this church. That's the way it should be done. No, you do it publicly. You brought a reproach upon Christ and it, it has to be handled publicly. Now look, if he hadn't hit his wife too hard that night, I'd have kept on believing he was the best thing and the best guy in the world, best Christian in the world. I didn't know anything about it. it. It absolutely shocked me. But you know what? God knew. God knew all about it. And I'll tell you the difference in churches and the difference in preachers. I went to him personally and I told him the ought I had against him and what he'd done. I asked him to make it right for the church. He said, I won't. I did exactly what the Bible says. I took two more guys with me the next time I went. And he told them the same thing. And so I said, here's what I'm going to do then since you did that. Next Wednesday night, I'm going to call a special business meeting this coming Sunday. And next Wednesday night, we're going to bring you before the church. And I want you to tell the church that if you want to. What he did was the next Sunday, he went down to a church that they used to go to and joined it that day. Tuesday morning, I had a request for a church letter there in the mail for him and his wife. I, I figured, well, the mail's not going to reach it, so I called the pastor of that church. He said, well, here's what I'm talking about. Every church is different. I said to the pastor of the church, I said, listen, I can't give that man a, a letter of recommendation. I'll give his wife one if she wants one. I don't think she really wants one, but I'll give it to her. But not him. I said, he has unfinished business here. And he said, well, you know, that's really none of our business. I said, the man's wanting to join your church. 
And you're supposed to be a church of like faith. And you're telling me you don't care? You don't care that he beats his wife? You don't care that he gets drunk? Now, I expected then he would go to tell the men, look, no, you're going to have to go back to Crow Baptist Church. You have to get this straightened out. No, he took him in as a member. And he stayed a member until, well, right before he died, I got a call. It's only been a couple of years ago. I got a call, and it was a member of his family said, he wants you to come. He wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh boy, yeah, here's another, you know, here's another, uh, uh, some more ulcers now. And uh, I went in not knowing what he was going to say. And he said, I want to apologize. You were right and I was wrong. I said, well, it don't have anything to do with me being right. It's got to do with God being right and God knowing the truth. But he got his heart right with God, finally. He saw the need in it. So... Uh, Here's the whole point. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on in my own church. I don't know what's going on in this church. But I want to tell you something other. God does. Because God only deals in the truth. Right? I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad God knows it. Right? I'm glad God knows my heart. Sometimes I feel like the lowest of the low. You know, I really do. I wonder how God could even love somebody like me. And I, I go back to that, that preacher that, you know, he was a good man. And, and that lady I was telling you about, wonderful person. But I'm telling you what's in here. I don't want nobody to know it. And uh, God's not going to remember it. But I don't want anybody else to know it. I would really be embarrassed if people knew what was in this noggin. Right? So what's it got to do with spiritual revival. Well, are we dedicated to the Lord or are we shallow in our commitments? I think now, especially for this church, getting ready to change pastors, it'd be a good it'd be a good thing, you know, for people to search their heart and say, Look, I wanna I wanna go into this, you know, Lord, I, I wanna honor you. I I, I want things to go exactly the way you want it to go because I have been around a while I know the devil don't need much just a little bit and he'll stomp this place into oblivion you come by here five years later and never know it was here that's how powerful he is but the truth is the church was built upon what we're talking about tonight the truth always demand the truth always live the truth always Love the truth. Even if it hurts us in its time, it'll make us better in, a, in eternity. Uh, if you would, bow with us in just a word of prayer. And, and uh, I'm just going to have the pianist come and play a couple of verses tonight for our closing. And Jesus said, Everyone that is of the truth Heareth my voice. I'm glad that the truth is not going to change. The truth that the church is built upon is going to stand the test of time. The Bible says that Jesus, uh, that, uh, concerning Jesus, 
that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. Whatever, whatever the Bible says is true, it will not change. Hold on, hold on to that truth. And the truth about our souls, the truth about heaven, the truth about hell. I don't want everyone to leave, leave a service without giving an invitation that if perhaps it may be this evening, you need to make a decision for the Lord. This would be the time to do it. I, I pray that tonight you would, you would come. Just come and I'll, I'll talk with you. I'll pray with you. And I'll help you come to know the Lord or to come to know the Lord in a greater way. If you would, you can come right up out of your seat now and walk this way. I'll meet you down here and we'll have a word of prayer. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Well, amen, folks. Thank you so much uh, for your good hospitality. And uh, I, uh, I I've always enjoyed preaching, and I don't get to do a whole lot of it anymore. But appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come. And um, I, I wish you the very best, and I'll continue to pray for you as you make this transition. And uh, if I can pray for you personally, get a hold of me some way or another. Holler at me, Brother, Brother Wells has got my phone number and email and all that stuff. Just let me know what I can do to be praying about for you, okay? So we'll be dismissed in prayer tonight. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your blessings today. Thank you for this Lord's Day and the opportunity you give us today to worship you in spirit and in truth. Bless each person, I pray. Meet every need. Help us to hold uh, the truth of your word near and dear in our hearts. And God, we give you praise now for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks.